So for the sake of the one, part one, here's the message. The church Jesus enjoys. The church Jesus enjoys. Luke chapter 14 is gonna give us two pictures of two groups of people. One group of people is the church that I believe that Jesus came to disrupt, that Jesus came to kind of toss uh, into an experience of uncomfortability because they, though they looked religious on the outside inwardly, they had no heart for the things of God. And that can happen in a church. That can happen very easily in any church where we get so comfortable about church for us, church the way we like it. Oh, I hope my seat isn't taken by somebody else. Oh, I hope they're singing the songs that I like. Oh, I hope the preacher is this guy or that guy. Oh, I hope that the music isn't too loud or too soft. Oh, I, I hope that the place has a great thing for my kids or my teens or my young people. Or you know, me, 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 me. And if we're not careful, we can turn into me-isms, me people, instead of the people. We are not here for me. We are here for he and thee, amen. Old King James English right here, just off the cuff, right? We are here for he and thee. In other words, it's not church just for me. It's church for the one that God wants to save. Because I was once that one. I was once that one. And so before we talk, take a look at the church that Jesus enjoys, I want to take a look at the church that Jesus annoys. <laughs> Because there's a church that Jesus is going to annoy in this passage. But before we get there, let's stand for the reading of God's Word at all of our locations. Reading of God's Word, Luke 14. I'm going to read the last part of this passage that we're going to look at. And then we will back up to verse 1 in our study. Verse 18. Sorry, verse 15. <laughs> when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field, I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen. I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Mm -hmm. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. And the next word, and what, if you got your Bible open? Compel. Somebody say compel. Compel them. To come, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. This is God's word. Father, speak. We humble ourselves before your word. We ask that your voice is the only voice we hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And may we see Jesus in him, him and him only. In his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. A little girl was walking along the beach one day, and she saw a whole group of starfishes, as far as the eye could see, washed up by a tidal wave onto the shore. And a little girl's heart went out to these starfishes who were now suffering on the shore of the beach, and she began to pick them up and toss them into the water. There must have been five, 6,000 of them. And a man came, grumpy old man came and said, what are you doing? 
It'll take you forever to do that, and you won't do it in time. What you're doing is not gonna make a difference. And with that, she looked at the man, picked up one more starfish, threw it in the ocean, and said, it makes a difference to that one. It makes a difference to that one. We serve a God who is going after the one. The one. We get excited about crowds. We get excited about applause. We get excited about, you know, stadiums packed with people. But our God focuses on the one. I was the one at one point on Jesus' mind. I think that is probably the most life-giving thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time when someone invited me, someone prayed for me, someone talked to me, and they brought me to a place where Jesus became real to me. If that's happened to you, just give God a a loud amen. amen. And aren't you excited for that person that said that you were worth it, that believed that you were worth investing in? And here's what I want you to do in this season. I want you to invest forward. It is holiday season. It is officially have people over your house season. It is prep season. How many of you, you already got your shopping list ready? None of you. (laughs) Good, okay, that's all right, that's me too. You gotta go out, you gotta get your food ready. You gotta buy the turkey. You gotta buy the cranberry sauce. How many know the cranberry sauce has to keep the shape of the can? None of this Jamie Oliver nonsense, natural organic. No, it should be can shape the way God intended. Full of high fructose corn syrup, praise Jesus. It's time to get your house ready, time to have people. How much work have you got ahead of you? Who am I stressing out right now? Because you're just thinking about it. You're having people over, you gotta get to work, and next week it's just gonna be crazy, and you're just thinking about all the things that are gonna prepare, and you gotta clean the house, you gotta fix up the house, you gotta clean up the scratches from the dog on the door, and you've been leaving it there, because it doesn't matter that you see it, but when fa- family and friends come over, it's like, now I actually gotta care about my house and how it looks. How many know that your house never looks as good as when you have people over, amen? And then you look at it when people are over, you're like, man, I wish my house always looked this good. But we're not worth it, so never mind, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then this is the, this is the phrase, this is the season that we're in, trying like, like crazy to make sure that everything is just right for the people who are coming over. And if you're going over people's houses, everybody who's having people over hates you, just letting you know. Because <laughs> you're going to need nothing. You're going to bring over what? What, a pecan pie? How long did that take you? 20 minutes? Let's go. Like seriously. A lot of work, though, to have people over. Amen? A lot of work. And let's be honest, some of the people that are coming over, we don't even like. You said facts kind of loud right there. Don't look to your left or right right now. We're going to put all this work into having people over. Here's what I want to do as a church. I want us to be ready. I want us to get our house ready. And most importantly, I want us to get our hearts ready for the people that we're going to have over. Christmas Eve, Christmas season, amen. Who could God change this year? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes to dinner. Luke chapter 14, and it's kind of interesting because in Luke chapter 14, he goes to one dinner. In Luke chapter 15, he goes to a dinner that's completely different, different crowd. In Luke chapter 15, he goes to a dinner with a bunch of sinners. And we get in in that dinner party, we get the story of the prodigal son, one of the greatest stories Jesus ever told. But the chapter before, Jesus goes not to the sinner's house. He goes to the religious person's house. And he starts to just kind of like walk in. And immediately as he enters, 
uh, he starts to just kind of upend their happiness. He starts to annoy them. Because religious people and Jesus don't get along. Like for some of you, that's like, you thought that this was all about religion. You thought that Jesus was all about just forming a religion, having religious people be religious. That's all about being a good person, moral person, upstanding person that can put your finger at other people and say, aha, at least I'm not as bad as that jerk. That's not what the mission of Jesus is about. Jesus did not come for the healthy. He did not come for those who had it all together. He came for the sick. He came for the people who need him. He came for the people who are broken and upended by sin and sin's consequences. He came for sinners. And if you're a sinner, you should be thankful that Jesus came. And they called him the friend of sinners, which made him an enemy of religious people. And he's invited over to this religious guy's house, and he just starts annoying them to death. And this picture at the dinner party at the Pharisee's house is a picture. It's a picture of the church because dinner and church, church, dinner, those things go together. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about eating. I don't know if you know this. But the Bible opens up with a meal that went horribly wrong. Satan feeds Eve, right? Bad meal. And, we, and anybody who's ever felt the effects of sin, you know, you know, that's a bad meal. Well, in the middle of the Bible, there's another meal. It's called the Passover, the Last Supper. And Jesus said, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you so that you can eat this meal together until I come back again. So we're supposed to eat that supper until Jesus comes back again. That's what the church does. We take the, the Lord's Supper when we gather. And then, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is pointing to the final meal, the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the Bible begins with a supper. The Bible's got a middle with a supper. And it ends with a supper. All that to say this, that God is a fan of eating. So Jesus goes to supper and he annoys these religious people. And here's why, here's why three things about the church that, that Jesus annoys, Jesus upends. Number one, write it down. It focuses on rules rather than restoring. It focuses on rules rather than restoring. Oh, by the way, I know you're probably wondering, where about that thing right above that point? Okay, let me, let me give you the fill in the blanks there. This is the series theme. To set the table, to set the table for the ones the Lord will bring to himself this season. To set the table for the ones the Lord will bring to himself this season. That's what this, scene, this uh, series is about. Okay, but back to the point. The church that Jesus knows focuses on rules. And by rules, I'm talking about traditions of men. Because there are God's rules which are good for you. Everything that God says don't do, understand he says don't do because he loves you. He's a loving heavenly father, just like a, a child who has a loving, a loving earthly father. If he starts to drift into the street with his ball, the father will say, stop. He doesn't say stop because he wants to limit the child's fun. He says stop because he wants to perpetuate the child's fun in a safe environment. Everything that God says in the word about what you shouldn't do is so that he can help you enjoy life, not destroy it. Amen. But rules and traditions are different. And the Pharisees that day, they had traditions coming out of their ears. All kinds of rules on top of God's rules to make life literally as unenjoyable as possible. Some churches are like that. They make life as unenjoyable as possible. And, and, and some churches are like the church that I grew up in. If you're having fun, it must be sinful. Stop it. That was the Pharisees. That was this house. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, it says. One Sabbath. 
when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now look at this. They were watching him. These are the religious guys watching Jesus, keeping the stern eye on him. They want to inspect what he's going to do. And this is why, because verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man before him in front of Jesus who had dropsy. Dropsy was a very visible sickness. It was the swelling of your hands and your feet because of something wrong with your internal organs. And so it made you swell. It was edema. It was some form of malnutrition or whatever. And this man is brought there and we're seeing this and he's sick and it's the Sabbath and Jesus has this very, um, very uh, annoying habit for religious people to break their traditions. And one of the traditions that they had was no healing on the Sabbath because that was work. So right away we see that this is not just a dinner. This is a setup. They want to catch Jesus in the act of breaking one of their traditions. They were watching him closely. And verse 3, it says this. Jesus responded. Notice that he responds. They haven't said anything yet. Do you know why? Because he's responding to their thoughts. You can have a conversation with God and you don't have to say anything because he already knows what you're thinking. He responds to them and he says, listen, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to heal, help people on the day of rest or not? And they had all kinds of rules about the Sabbath, how many steps you could take, how far you could walk to the store and back, you know, all kinds of rules, whether you could carry your mat, carry, how much could you carry, and all these traditions that were lay, laid on top of God's rules. And Jesus came to say, no, the Sabbath is not meant for your rules. The Sabbath is meant for your healing. That's what God creates rules for, for your healing and flourishing. And he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Verse 4, they remained silent. And then he looks around at them and he sees their stubbornness of heart and he heals the man, sends him away and he said to them, which of you, and I love this question, which of you, if you have an ox or a son and he falls into a well on the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? In verse 6 it says, they could not reply to these things. Never get into an argument with Jesus. It's going to go poorly for you. The trap that they set up for him ended up becoming a trap for them. Because he could see that their religion wasn't concerned about people. And we can get like that as Christians. We can get like that. Where we are more concerned about church the way we want it. The way we need it. With the people we like. Rather than church for the one who is different than us. That's the mission of Jesus. The heart of God it's not that you look religious. The heart of God is that you have his heart for lost people. And so Church of Jesus and always obsesses about rules rather than healing and restoring. Number two, the church that Jesus annoys focuses on status rather than serving. In, the, in, this, in this setting around the dinner table of the Pharisees, it was all about who's who, who's important, who looks the part. And this is what religion does. Religion starts focusing on your status in the church rather than your serving in the church. And look at what happens. As soon as Jesus shuts them up over the man who was healed and they got nothing to say, verse 7 it says that they start just kind of like sitting down at the table. And verse 7 it says, now he told them a parable to those who were invited. When he saw, look what it says, he saw that they chose the places of what? Honor. He, they, they were looking for the important places. You ever go to a wedding and, and outside the reception hall is the fancy little display on how to find your table. 
How many know that that's an anxiety attack waiting to happen, right? And you go up there and you're like, what table am I at? And you say, oh, table eight. But you don't just look at table eight. What else do you look at? Who's at table eight? Yeah, I wanna know. And then you get to the reception hall and you're like, okay, where is table eight? Did they put me in another room? Did they put me with the special people, the special friends? Where am I? You know what I'm talking about? And so you gotta like angle, angle to get into the good place. And this is what the Pharisees were doing because they wanted to look important. They wanted to have people praise them. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus says this straight out to them. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues, the best seats in church. And you love the greetings in the marketplaces. And you love people to call you rabbi. And you love your titles. And you love your positions. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The, the world is full of churches that are just like that. Churches that are more focused on what's my title, what's my position. People want to be called certain names. People want to broadcast their degrees and their influence. People want to be celebrated. Watch out for these kind of churches. People want to be on stage. Oh, they want to sing. They want to be in front of people. They want to be in charge. They want to be noticed. Jesus says that's a religious spirit. That's not the heart of God. There's nothing wrong with having a title. There's nothing wrong with having the stage presence. There's nothing wrong with being in charge. But there is something wrong with loving the position rather than serving the people. See, some churches, they're going to call their pastor reverend. Pastor, reverend pastor, some most high reverend. What the heck is that? <laughs> you don't have to call me any of that. I will take... Pastor Tim, DD, amen. <laughs> no, call me Tim, that's it. Like people always say, should I call you Pastor Hatch, Pastor Tim, Reverend Tim, Reverend Hatch? I don't know, that's foreign language to me. Just call me Tim. Call me anything but late for dinner. Amen, somebody. <laughs> you love the best seats, you love those places, you love the position, you love the titles. What good is the position if it doesn't care about people? What good is this building if this building is not open to people? What good is our churches, all of our locations? What good is gathering in this place if we're not more excited about the people that God is reaching than the places that we have for ourselves? So he tells them this parable as they're sitting, and you can just see the Pharisees are just kind of like, they're all kind of like elbowing each other out of the way to get the important place at the dinner table, and Jesus just goes off. He starts annoying them again, and it says in verse 8, he says, hey, when you're invited to someone, to a wedding, buy someone to a wedding feast, uh, don't sit down in the place of honor. <laughs> in other words, don't do what you're doing right now. See, this is a church that Jesus annoys. These are the people that Jesus annoys, religious people. Lest someone more distinguished than you comes in, and he who invited both of you will come and say, give your place to this person, and then you, with shame, will begin to take the lowest place. That's what religion's about. It's about status, about looking important in front of other people. Then verse 10, he says, but when you are invited, go and sit in the what? In the lowest place, so that when your host comes in, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be exalted in the eyes of everybody. And then verse 11, he sums up the whole teaching. He says in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, surely Jesus is not teaching us about um, table etiquette only here. He's teaching us about the principles of the kingdom. He's teaching us about what does it mean to be a Christian? And I think in our world, we have lost a sense of what it means to be a Christian in a big way. Because in so many ways, Christian, Christianity and the faith is this tool to promote ourselves, to put ourselves first, to serve ourselves, to be important. 
And Christianity is not about that. Christianity is built on the truth that the most important person in the universe, Jesus, the Son of God, came and dwelt among us. He became a poor baby in a manger. Didn't even have a crib. Didn't even, didn't even have the, the thing over the crib with the, with the music. What's that called? Mobile. Why do I always miss that word? Mobile. Mobile phone, mobile thing. Anyway, he didn't even have a mobile. He didn't have anybody celebrating him. He was all alone. This poor baby, the greatest human in the universe, humbled himself. And the scripture says he humbled himself and became obedient, and he went to the cross, the shameful, rugged, dirty, bloody cross. And the night before the cross, he got on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. Where does Christianity get off being about your importance and your position and your status and your view of other people in the community when the Savior that we serve is the one who surrendered all of his self-importance for our sake? If we're following Jesus, we should humble ourselves to serve other people. Let me tell you how this unpacks at all of our locations. It means you start serving right where you are. It means you don't wait for somebody to notice you. It, doesn't, it means that you don't aim for the important places. It, it means that you're ready and willing. Maybe you could just stand at a door and greet people and hand the bulletins on the way in and smile. Your smile might make someone's day. Oh, I want to. A lot of people want to serve the Lord, but they only want to serve the Lord in an advisory committee position. I'm just here to give you some advice, Pastor. Well, how about you sweep something? How about you serve somewhere? How about you see there's vomit on the floor from someone's kid? Pick it up in Jesus' name to the glory of God. Can we do that? Instead of just serving what we want for our own lives, he who exalts himself will be humbled. And and this is what the church should be. The church should be a group of people who are humbled, humbled by the grace of God, humbled that God would save me. Number three, the church that Jesus noise appeals to insiders rather than outsiders. The church that Jesus disrupts is this dinner party held by this ruler of the Pharisees, and he's got all of his friends there, and he just keeps making it more and more awkward. Have you noticed that? This dinner party just gets more and more awkward. And not to be done making it awkward, verse 12 says that he said to the man who had invited him. Now, now Jesus goes to the host of the dinner. And this is what he says. Now, let's just put yourself in this position because he's at dinner. He's been invited to somebody's house for dinner. He's already embarrassed them with their trap that they set for him. He's already embarrassed them as they choose the important places to sit. And then he goes to the house and he's like, hey, when you give a dinner, don't invite these people. Can you imagine doing that to the people that invite you over to Thanksgiving this year? He says, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, some of you are like, I have been looking for a Bible verse to give me the reason not to invite my family to Thanksgiving my whole life. I find, no, no, that's not what this verse is saying. In the Greek text, it's an idiom. He's saying, don't only invite the people that you know will invite you back. He says in verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the people that you cannot get repaid by. In other words, focus on the outsiders. Open your home to people who are not put together. This is Christianity. Some of you are on the fence about hosting a small group. Some of you are on the fence about having a small group. Some of you are on the fence about going to a small group. 
humble yourself and go and serve and open. Like this is, this is the Jesus that we serve, the one who told us this is how it works in the kingdom. We open our homes to people. It's the biblical doctrine of hospitality, that we are welcoming, that we are glad people are coming in. If we're gonna serve Jesus, we've gotta do the things that Jesus talked about, amen? And here he is saying, this is what I want you to do. And if you do this, you will be repaid that God will see that the people you invite can't repay you. He will repay you. And so I just see this religious setting of all these religious people. And Jesus just does this. He annoys them. And, And what he's doing is he's cleaning house. He's just cleaning house in the church. And I find that that's what has to happen on a regular basis because the church can look good on the outside, but sometimes on the inside. It's full of garbage. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We can have it together on the outside, but on the inside, there's so many things that are going on in the church we don't even realize. Some of the things that Jesus is just pointing out here, you know what I'm saying? Like complaining. Jesus wants to get us out of that spirit of complaining. Oh, I don't like this music. Oh, I I don't know if I like the way the church, I don't know if I like the video preaching. I don't know if I like the temperature. It's kind of cold. It's kind of warm. It's kind of this. Listen, we got a whole group of people. We got over a thousand people at all of our locations. It is impossible to get the right temperature for all those people. (laughs) What is entirely possible is maybe you need to put a sweater on. Amen. Maybe you need to take one off. I don't know. Well, if you take one off, make sure you have something underneath. But anyway, complaining. The Bible says in Philippians 2, do all things without complaining and murmuring and grumbling that you might be blameless in this world and you might shine as stars in the universe. Do you know what humility is? Humility is saying it's not about me, so it might not be exactly what I want, but praise God, somebody's getting baptized today. Somebody's getting saved today. Somebody's hearing Jesus today. Somebody's gonna be brand new today. Something else that could be in the church, just kind of trash in the church, just... I think this is a big one, apathy. Apathy. Apathy is when it's just all about what I want. And who cares about my neighbor? Apathy is when it's all about what you want to get out of church instead of, wait a second, you are the church. You understand there's no biblical passage that says go to church. You understand that? There's no biblical passage. There's no verse where it says go to church. Do you know why? Because you are the church. When you walk out these doors, you go on mission. Some of you are working in places, you are working in environments, and you don't even realize those people that annoy you, those people that disrespect you, those people that you don't like, that you just hate working with, listen to me, you got to see it a whole different way. Those are people for whom Jesus died. And you are on mission to that place. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, has sent you to them so that you could share the glory of God's gospel. Amen. We've got to get apathy out of the church. What else? What else? What else? What else? Some of you are like, please, no more. Yeah, more. Serving self. Just in it for what I can get out of it. Serving self. I remember we had a young girl. She was a singer in our church. And to be honest with you, she couldn't sing very well. <laughs> but we were a small church, and when you're a small church, it's, do you got a pulse? Okay, sing. <laughs> the church started to grow. And we started to have more singers come, good singers. And we were like, all right, time for you to stop singing. Well, at least on the stage, sing out there all you want, but not here. And she got so offended, she left the church. You know what that is? That's serving self. 
a certain stuff. So, at some point, God is going to just move you into a different mis- mission, m- uh, move you into a different part of the church. That's okay. Just make yourself available because we're not here to serve us. We're here to serve him. Not church for me, church for thee. Amen. Here's another one. This one's big. Taking, not giving. Jesus never commanded us to take. So many Christians are all about taking. I want church the way I want it. Taking, not giving. Here's how you take and not give. You come every week. You listen to the same word, the same message. You get blessed. Your family gets blessed. Your children get ministered to. And you don't even give. You're a taker. Like that's, that's so rude. And, and, and here's the thing. We don't charge admission when you come in. Did you notice that? You can come and you can take all you want. Don't be a take. Be a giver. Jesus said if you give, it will be given back to you. Jesus said, give, it'll be pressed down, shaken and poured into your lap. He said, I don't have much to give. Whatever you give, God sees, God records. Have you put God first financially in your life? Have you put God first in the time? That's how we, that's how we are the church. That's the trash that we got to get out of the church. What's this one? Oh, this one's big. This one's big. A lot of people don't want to come to church because of this one. Hypocrisy. Now let's set the record straight on hypocrisy because some of you think... The only way I'm ever going to be a hypocrite is if I have my act totally together, and that's impossible. Okay, first, you're right. It's impossible that you'll never have your act together until Jesus comes. That's true. But hypocrisy is not about having it all together so that you don't have to fake it anymore. Hypocrisy is just being honest about the fact that you don't have it all together. Not being, not being a hypocrite is about saying, look, I know. I'm still on the path. And so when you get caught out, by your friends or your coworkers, and they say, oh, I thought Mrs. Holier Than Thou was better than that. And look at what she's doing now. <laughs> Here's what you say. You say, man, I know. I still struggle. And Jesus is still saving me. They won't be able to say anything to that. They'll be like, man. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad I picked this one up. Hmm. Someday I'm going to do a series called The Sins We Accept. This is number one. Gossip. Do you know what gossip is? Gossip is talking about someone else's sin with a third party. And sometimes our small groups, that's what they become. Did you hear about? And then we're all like, what? The book of Proverbs says it's a dainty morsel. We like to eat it. Ooh, what, what did they do? You know what gossip is? Gossip is just inferiority. Because you're so self-absorbed. You're so, so concerned about your own failures. You only find pleasure in pointing out the failures of others. And this, is, this has got to go in the church. Amen? You know what the scripture says? It says, if you have ought against your brother. Do you know what it says? If you have something against your brother. Or if your brother sins against you. Do you know what it says? It says, go to them. Go to them and talk it out. And if they listen, then you've won your brother. And if they don't, then you take someone else. And if they're sinning, look, we just see this. Both of us see this this problem. And and then maybe he listens. And if not, then you bring to the church and the elders and we'll take care of it. But here's what we like to do. We like to say, look at that person. And so we go through five other people to say, do you think they're bad? Do you think they're bad? Do you think they're bad? That's gossip. It's destroying the church. and And it belittles the image of God in the body of Christ. And no one outside of the church wants to be a part of a church with this because they already get plenty of this outside the church. So we gotta get that trash out. 
And this is what Jesus is doing at this dinner party. And this is what Jesus needs to do at the church on a regular basis. He just wants to come and clean it out and say, get my house ready. I am in the business of saving souls. I'm in the business of changing lives. I want to see the sons and daughters come home to me. I want to see people get saved that you care about. I love them. I died for them. And we want to get this house clean so that people can know that Jesus saves. That's the church that Jesus annoys. And so the three tests of a church. Number one, do we love people or performance? Number two, are we seeking God's glory or are we seeking our own? Number three, are we comforting ourselves or are we reaching out? I want a church that's hungry. I want to be a church that's longing to see our neighbors know the grace of God. I want to see our church honoring God in all things. And I want to see our church reaching out to those who are unlike us. That's the church that Jesus annoys. So the dinner party is thoroughly awkward at this point. This is what happens when religious people have Jesus show up. <laughs> Verse 15, one of them tries to break the ice and he says, Blessed is everyone who eats bread at the kingdom of God, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't let the tension die out one little bit. He goes off into another tangent. And he says this in verse 16. He said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many, and at the time of the banquet he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Jesus is giving us a parable. This is what he does. He teaches the principles of the kingdom through parables. And verse 19, uh, verse 18, sorry. They all alike began to make excuses. And these excuses are so incredibly lame. The first one says, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Who buys a field before seeing it? The second one, I bought five yoke of oxen. A yoke of oxen was for a rich family. So this guy's got five yokes. He means he's exceedingly rich. And he says, I bought five yokes. And they're, they're, they're like a truck of the first century. They're like the truck, the, work, the workhorse of the, of, the, of the house of the first century. I bought five trucks. And I got to go examine them. Like, you didn't test drive them before? Nobody does that. In other words, lame excuses. Any excuse that you can make to miss God's banquet is a lame excuse. And the third guy, I love the third guy the best. I, I got married and I can't come. <laughs> and what I love about verse 21, it says this, the servant came back and reported these things to the master. And the master said, the master became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. You know what I find fascinating is how quickly God is ready to move on to different people. Like, if you're not a Jew, that's why you're a Christian today. Because the Jews got the message first, and they rejected it. So God just moved on to the Gentiles. And he moved on to the Roman centurion and the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the Gentiles in Antioch, and the church exploded. Because the first people who heard the invitation said, no, thank you. And God said, okay, I'm going to get somebody. I'm going to bring somebody into my house. And I love the fact that he brought in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, physically and spiritually. There are some spiritual cripples in the house today. There are some spiritual poor people in the house today. You don't feel good enough for God. You don't feel like you're worthy. You're looking at everybody in this church and you're thinking, look at how they have it together. Look at how everybody else knows the songs. Everybody else knows where the Bible is. Everybody else knows what's going on. I don't have, I have a hard time. You don't understand. My story is filled with sin. My story is filled with shame. 
And I want you just to just think for one second real quickly. Listen, this is who Jesus came for. I've called, he said, I came to call the sick, not the healthy. The sinner's not the righteous. In fact, the only thing that keeps you out of the kingdom of God is self-righteousness. Just a feeling that you're superior, you're better, you don't need forgiveness. You're just fine the way you are. Man, we need to talk to your mother. Because she'll tell us the truth about you, or your wife, or someone close to you. The church is for the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So here's the three things about the church that Jesus enjoys, and then we're done. Number one, the church Jesus enjoys is eager for people you don't expect. Mm -hmm. The people that are not like you, who don't vote like you, who don't think like you, who don't look like you. That's what the church is for. And so the servant goes out, he finds the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and he comes in with them and he puts them into the house. I want to tell you something, spiritual crippled people, they, they are the best people to preach to. I, I get the privilege, and I mean the word privilege on purpose, to go to our prison systems and preach to prisoners. I tell you, they're the best audience in the world. They're just so happy that we're there. I'll tell you, they amen at everything. I say, open your Bibles, like, amen. All right. <laughs> and then I get done preaching, I thank you so much. Every single prisoner comes up and thanks me, thanks me, thanks me, thanks me. And, and many of them will say, I'm getting out in a couple months and I'm coming to your church. And I'm like, yes, come. You are invited. And somebody's like, really? Are they here among us? They could be. Are we going to be the church that welcomes those whose lives aren't all together? I mean, that's the church we got to be. Now, one qualification, and I have to say this pastorally. Let me step into that for a moment. There is one group of people we say, you are more than welcome to be part of our church online. And those are the ones who hurt a child. Just so you know. All right, we just, no, no, no. We don't want to clap for that either because they need Jesus. But that's our pastoral concern for your children. Okay. But almost anything else, amen. <laughs> Come on in and let's see God change their hearts because we have the power to see it happen, amen. Number two, the church that Jesus enjoys makes room for people that you don't yet see. This is why we're always building and expanding. This is why we went to Woonsocket. This is why we came to Apollo Beach. This is why we went to Guatemala. And this is why we are soon going to Tiverton. Because we want to make room for people who aren't yet here. There are people that have been baptized and saved at Apollo Beach that have been baptized and saved that we, a year ago, did not even know their names. And today their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because of your giving here in North Attleboro and in Woonsocket. There are people in Woonsocket, same thing. People in Guatemala, same thing. We make room for the people that God is saving. Let me, let me have you write something down so that his home, ready? Write this down. There was a time room was made for me. If you're sitting at one of our locations right now, the chair that you are sitting on, there's a good chance it was paid for by someone other than you. That means that somebody believed that you were valuable enough to pay for a seat for. 
And I know who those people are. You don't know who those people are. A lot of them are here because I used to yell at them about giving money for you. And now I'm going to ask our church one more time, let's give money for the people who are not yet here. And at the end of the series, on December 12th, I'm going to have one final big call, one final big push to say, let's do our year-end giving two weeks early. Year-end giving two weeks early, December 12th. It's called For the Sake of the One Offering. Give your best year-end gift for the sake of the one so that we can build Tiverton to the glory of God. Let me whet your appetite for why you need to do it. We've got Medi over here. He is our MC today, here up in the North Attleboro location. And he was telling me a story last night about a guy who's part of our Tiverton, Rhode Island team. They're going to go and plant that church in Tiverton, right near Fall River, where the harvest, I believe, for souls is exceedingly white. And this guy works in the medical field, and someone on his team came down with COVID, so they were all on immediate lockdown. They thought it was going to be 10 days. It ended up being 12 days. They were on lockdown. They couldn't leave. And our guy, his name is Scott, he's part of the team, and he'd been praying for his friends and praying for his coworkers to come to Christ, and they were all like, no, I don't want, I'm not interested, I don't want any part of that. Well, lockdown changed a lot of that. Because sometimes when God really wants to save someone, he locks them away into a place where they can only listen to him. <laughs> And so Scott started to take out the, vid the videos, the online messages of Water's Church, and he just started to listen to them on his phone. And his friend was like, what's that? And his friend's like, well, listen to, listen to the preaching, listen to the church. And he's like, wow, wow, amazing. And he got to the end of the service as he was listening to the message at the, in, during this lockdown season, and he gave his life to Jesus in the lockdown. And then another guy is like, when are you guys going to open the church? Because I want to go. I'm ready to go. And all these medical guys who are on lockdown right now, these, well, last past couple of weeks, are ready to come to our Tiverton location as soon as we open it. My friends, if there is not a cause to make room for people, I don't know what else you need. There's a harvest field that is white, and we need to go and reach them with the good news of Jesus. One of the things that you can do online, and I share this with you on the deep end and on, on, on all of the stuff we do online, is click the share button. Share it on your social media. If you're watching online, click the share button. Send it out. Get the message out. Because it's time to reach as many people as possible with the life-saving message of Jesus. So verse 23, the master said to the servant, since there's still room, go to the highways and the hedges and compel. And compel. Now the word compel means that you just got to make it a compelling offer. Compel people to come that my house may be filled. Point number three, if you're taking notes, the church that Jesus enjoys compels the outsiders to come on in. What do I mean by compel? Okay, here, simple. Here's something very simple. When you invite someone to church, do it with a smile. Like, you know what I'm saying? Saying, hey, would you want to come to church with me? Is not exactly selling it. Think of the last time you got a new car. Think of the last time you got a new house. Think of the last time you got something new. You're like, well, I just want to share with somebody. I just want to tell somebody. And he's like, hey, look at my new car. Wow, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, great. Like, that's how you got to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ because you know it's better than anything else this world can give you. It's exciting to be saved. It's exciting to know you're going to heaven. Are you excited that Jesus has saved you? Compel them. Smile. Number, number, this is nothing to write down, but smile and then ask again. Like I asked, they said no. Yeah, so? So what? Ask again. Here's what I have found, and I think this has been studied, that people need seven touches by seven different people before they'll come to church. They need seven touches. You just might be touch number two. 
So be touch number two. And you might be in touch number four and touch number six. Who knows? But what I'm trying to say is be a nudge. Nudge them in the right direction. Amen? Compel people to come in. This is the church that Jesus enjoys. And do you know why? Do you know why this is the church that Jesus enjoys? The church for outsiders, the church for the rejects, the church for the people that, that everybody else looks down on. Do you know why? Because that's exactly who he was. He's the son of God who was rejected. He's the one that people cast out. And the scripture says in Hebrews 13, verse 12, it says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. We serve a savior who was cast off by the religious of his day. That's why this message is so compelling to the people who aren't religious in our day. Sermon in a sentence. The church that Jesus enjoys eagerly seeks to reach the unexpected ones with the undeserved grace of God. And that's the kind of church that I want us to be. No religious pretense. No religious, uh, religiosity, just a heart for the one.